0: Um, if you have a Bible or a phone or something, don't you want to head towards uh, Psalm 62? That's where we're going to be. Um, we're going to be this morning in Psalm 62. Uh, we're in. It is a series, but it's not a very strict series like we normally do through books. We're just, as a teaching team, all taking turns to share encouragements that we have picked up uh, through God's Word uh, this year. And uh, I'm going to share this morning uh, from Psalm 62. I'm sure some of you are, are, are sad that you don't have a paper Bible this morning uh, that doubles up as a, as a fan. There's a good reason to uh, <clears throat> go back to paper Bibles. Uh, Psalm 62, Let's, uh, let me read for us. I'm reading from the <clears throat> CSB version. I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation <clears throat> comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if you were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people... An illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful uh, faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. Let's pray together. Father, again this week, we are grateful for uh, your word. We thank you that you have given us this immeasurable gift of a living word that speaks, that you have spoken and you continue to speak. And you have promised that every time we open uh, this book, this word, and we open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts, you, you would speak and we would hear and you would teach us by the Holy Spirit that we would know you more, that we would see ourselves rightly, that our faith would be strengthened, and that we would be changed by the hearing of these words. And so we pray again this morning. We humble ourselves under your word. We submit ourselves to the authority of the Holy Spirit. and We pray that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, and that you would strengthen us through your word this morning for your glory And for our good, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some context quickly around Psalm 62, and it'll lead into why I've uh, chosen to to preach on Psalm 62. Uh, This is a psalm of uh, of David, and uh, if you were here last week, uh, Quint would have given some great introduction on the life of David, a little bit as he was speaking about his relationship with Jonathan. Uh, but as you see in this psalm, David, uh, the context of it is that he, there's people against him. Uh, pretty much pretty much all the way through David's reign, somebody was against him. Uh, there were moments and there were seasons of peace, but uh, pre-becoming the king, there was the whole thing with Saul, and if you don't know the whole story, just trust me that it, it was hectic. Uh, he almost didn't become the king. Uh, guys are out to get him, like not to like get him, like kill him, like you think you have problems? He had like proper problems, like like off with his head kind of problems. And uh, he becomes the king. And even, I mean, it got to this point that even his own son was plotting against him. I mean, that's like next level, like insurrection in the home uh, kind of thing. You know, when Dan starts to tell me he's trying to overthrow uh, me in the home, then I know there's a problem at home. You know, we need some stuff we haven't dealt with properly there. Uh, this is... David's context and his situation, what he's speaking about specifically here, you can have a look there in verses um, 3 and 4. How long will you threaten a man? Question mark. Will all of you attack as if you were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They're, they're sniffing out a bit of a weakness in, in David, as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence. It doesn't sound like you're pretty steadfast. There. You're like a tottering fence or like a wall. We've got one wall at our house that leans more and more uh, every uh, time it rains, and I'm, I'm nervous for its future. Uh, but this is sort of how David's described as a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They're just going to come and just knock him over kind of thing. And how they are going to do it? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, and they curse inwardly. This is some of the context David is facing. People who, before his face, bless, but inwardly they curse. Surely that's some of the hardest stuff to deal with when the people closest to you in who you've placed trust or this deep relationship bless you with their mouths but curse you in their hearts. And some of you would have experienced that before that kind of betrayal of the people right in front of your face who will lie to your face or tell you whatever you want to hear, but inwardly they're cursing you in their hearts and they're planning your downfall. I know that sounds a bit soap opera and hectic, but that does happen. You may not be living in the kind of reality of that, but many people struggle with that. This is the context that David. Is facing, everyone's against him. And as I've read and reread this psalm during lockdown, uh, I think we can all agree, like Quentin was saying last week, that 2020 has been a year. Um, it's been a year unlike many of us or any of us have ever lived through. And as I spend more time with people as we come out of the haze of lockdown and look in my own heart, everyone's in a different state, their souls are in different states. Some people are flourishing and others are just crawling and struggling. Some are thriving, some are shriveled up and limping along. And I find myself asking the question, what if 2021 makes 2020 look like it was just warming up? Yeah, everyone's thinking, no, but don't come with your prophetic utterances. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm just telling you that if you're holding out that 2020 is going to cause all the problems of 2020, I oh, no, 2021 is going to cause all the problems of 2020 to evaporate. I have bad news for you. I don't know what 2021 holds, but you're placing your hope in the wrong thing. Because 2020 could 2021 I'm eventually going to get the Ezra. right? Next year is going to make this year could make this year look like it was just warming up. Then what? All of our hope that we've placed in, the lockdown easing, everything returning to normal, doesn't happen. And another wave, a bigger wave hits the world then what? What are we going to do then? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? Where is the rest for your soul going to be found if next year is worse than this year? That's why Psalm 62 is here. It's a word of challenge and encouragement and hope for us today. So let's dive in and see three things. I'm going old school Baptist today. Three points, no poem. Um, Because we have to be shorter with sermons these days. It's awful. Point number one. Your soul's rest is found in God alone. Your soul's rest is found in God alone. That's what David says. Have a look in verse one. He says that I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Verse five. He says it again in a different way, rest in God alone, my soul. But we have to acknowledge that's not exactly how we roll, is it? Maybe I'm more honest than, than you guys this morning. But that's not how I roll. I can't say that like, hey, my soul rests in God alone. To him alone I look all the time. I look around all over the place. I lost something, I was trying to find something in the house the other day, and I turned the house upside down looking for it. Sometimes I feel like that's a picture, a metaphor of me spiritually looking for rest. I'm turning the house upside down, I'm looking everywhere else except where that thing is. And that's sometimes the pattern of my life. I will find rest, or look for it at least. I'm looking for rest everywhere else except in God alone. And I think because you're a bit like me, that may describe some of you. It's not normal for us just to run into the arms of God and say, you alone are my rest and my refuge, my stronghold, God. Maybe it is you, but you're rare then. Most of us, especially when times of trial and testing and years like this come, we're looking around at everything else to bolster our souls and to find rest and comfort and help. Have a look with me here at verse 9 and 10. We're going to jump around in the psalm. We're not, it's a psalm, so we can go around um, how we need to. Verse 9 and 10. Common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. I love that. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. What is David talking about here? Well, he's fleshing out some of the alternative options for where you can place your hope and your trust. The first one, he says, is he puts forward his people. He say, and, and he describes them. He says, look, people are a vapor. Whether they're important or unimportant, they're an illusion and they're like a mist. They're a vapor. If you were to weigh their importance on a scale, they're not going to move the scale, is what he's saying. They're a vapor. Have you ever tried to measure vapor on a scale? I mean, I don't acknowledge if you have, because that would be Interesting exercise to have done. I mean, maybe the kids do it at school or something, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to affect it. And that's David's point. Like, people can't affect. People can't affect. And what is he talking about here? There's two different ways in which they can't affect. They have limited ability to help you when there's real distress. And this, this often happens when we're in the mix like a year like this, or you're going through trial and struggle. We reach out to people that we know and we love and who we think can help us. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Don't do that. Go to God alone. You know, abandon everyone. Just make a tunnel straight for God. But you'll realize fairly quickly that people have limited ability to provide rest for your soul and to help you with what you most desperately need. And that's what David is saying. That people are lightweight. When you compare them against God, which we're going to do, when you compare them against God, they don't actually make any difference on the scale. It's as if you were weighing vapor. Another way is in their effect, their ultimate ability to influence you. It doesn't supersede God. And that's the encouragement David's giving them. Say, look, the, these people, they're a vapor, they're a mist. They can't have an ultimate effect on your life because God undergirds who you are and what's ultimately happening. So don't, don't fear what you can see with your eyes and the people that you can see. That's what the Bible says. Rather fear God. Don't worry about what the effect that people can have on you in an ultimate sense. Don't worry about the people and don't look to them for hope and for rest for your souls. The second bit that he goes on to is to look at wealth. And I think in this sort of area of the world, many of us are maybe guilty of this. When the heat comes, uh, what are you going to look to to as a, as, a, as a foundation, to undergird? Oh, well, okay, I've got, I've got some money in the bank. I've got a home. I've got a job or whatever else, I've got, I've got some wealth, I've got some resources. He says, whether the, and David says, whether it's legitimately gained or not, I mean, we're not going to go all the way down that road this morning, hopefully it wasn't illegitimately earned, but it's whether you've got it from your job or whatever else, you can rest back on it. All hell can be breaking loose on out there, but uh, I can lean back in my home, look at my bank balance and think everything's going to be okay, be at rest, my soul, everything's going to be fine. And David says, don't place any of your hope in your wealth. And that is echoed by what Paul tells Timothy. If you're making notes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says this, instruct. So this is what I'm doing. I'm just being obedient to what's here. It says instruct. So I'm instructing you. There it is. Instruct those who are rich. That's you. Okay, if you're in the room, you're rich. Say, somebody say Amen. Whether you're feeling rich or not, if you're in this room, you're rich. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Storing of treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Guys, placing any confidence in our wealth is a fool's errand this year in particular and in any future year because this year has taught us that it can evaporate quickly. Your job can disappear because of a flu virus. Your wealth can just go like this. They elect the wrong person to be the president of whatever country and the Iran tanks and new investments evaporate. Wealth is fickle and it just, phew, like this. Placing hope in it is the fool's errand. And the Bible cautions us. It says, instruct them. Don't place your hope in that. Rather put your hope in God. What are some of the other things that we look to? For some of us, it's just stability. When the wheels are coming off in 2020, you're just trying to find things that are stable. You're trying to find a routine, um, structure, all of that. So if I can have that then it doesn't matter what's happening out there, my soul will be at rest, I'll be okay. Until that changes. For some of us, like I said, it's, it's, it's security. It's the security of work. Oh, thank goodness I have a job and my job is safe. Or my house is a fortress, I'm physically safe. And we know that living in this country, neither of those things are a sure bet. You can have the safest home that can be invaded and your job can <clears throat> evaporate in an instant. Placing hope and and faith and trust in those things, especially to look to them as a rest for your soul when everything is turbulent, is ridiculous. Some of us are just longing for a holiday. I can just go put my feet up somewhere, look at the sea, look at the mountains, read my book, whatever, then my soul will be at rest if I can get to a holiday. And I, and I, I have to warn you that that's not true. You may find some physical rest, but your soul doesn't find rest in escaping your current reality. You take yourself on holiday, and you take your noisy, busy, messed up, jacked up soul with you on holiday, and if you're looking to the holiday to give you rest, you may be physically rested, but you you may bring that same wearied soul back from holiday with you and be maybe in a worse place. Some of us look to leaders even this week, some people placing all their hope and all their rest for their souls in political outcomes. If we just get this person into office, everything's going to be fine. It's not friends. The Bible does not paint that picture at all. "In God alone. in God alone." If you only remember one phrase from this morning, remember that phrase: "In God alone." not God and in God alone." That's how it's meant to be because everything else is uncertain. Everything else is uncertain. And everything else is unable. It's not just uncertain. And you can't control it. You don't know how it's going to pan out. It's unable. It can't sustain the weight of your soul's need. If you want a soul to be refreshed, you can't look to those things because they have an inability to refresh your soul. Inability. Unkind. To put that on on anything, on your finances, or whatever, even on your spouse, on your children, anything else other than God. God made you, He knows your soul. He alone, as David said, is able to refresh your soul and sustain it and provide a rest for it. Why? Well, David says here there is no refuge. This is point two. There is no refuge like God. There's no refuge like God. That's what God says in the scriptures. To who will you compare me? To who are you going to compare me? Who is my equal? There's no refuge like God. Listen to how David describes God in the psalm. You are my refuge, a rock, a strong rock, a stronghold, salvation, my source of hope. My, he says my hope comes from him. My hope comes from him. Let me say this. Your view of God will radically affect how quickly you run to him for your soul's rest. Your view of God will radically affect how quickly you run to him for your soul's rest. If you don't see God the way David did, refuge, rock, stronghold, salvation, all your source of hope, then when the waves start to wash over your life and everything goes washing machine like this year, you're not going to run to God. You're going to run and look and everywhere else, and you're going to try and see if everything else can sustain you and refresh your soul. It's important that our view of God is shaped by his own revelation of himself, who he said he is. What I, two of the verses I love most in the psalm are right at the end. Verse 11 and 12, God has spoken once, I've heard this twice, strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you will repay each according to his works. What is God saying he's like? There's two words there, there's two concepts, strength and faithful love, steadfast love. That, that, that word is said. It's covenant-keeping love. You see it all the way through the Old Testament. This God of faithful, covenant-keeping love. When you let go of God, this is the word for this. When you let go of God, God doesn't let go of you. That's this faithful, covenant-keeping, steadfast love. Your grip slips on God. God's got you. That's this word. Faithful love. Your unfaithfulness doesn't affect his faithfulness to you. That kind of love. You cheat on him, he comes to win you back to himself. That kind of faithful love. You forget about him for six months, you can't find your Bible, you haven't prayed a word, God loves you, he's coming after you, he's holding you, you belong to him. Faithful love, steadfast love, chesed. That's God. That's who he says he is. But he's not just loving, he's strong. It says His strength is with the Lord. These are two concepts that you have to hold together when you think of God. Because imagine if God was strong and not loving. He could do whatever he wanted, but he wasn't full of faithful love. You should be adequately terrified of a God like that. Who could do whatever he wants, but he doesn't act in faithful love towards you. Or a God who has faithful love towards you, steadfast in love, but he can't do anything about it. He doesn't have strength. He just really, really loves you, but... Yeah... He he can't act on it. Those two things come together again and again in the Scriptures. The God is the one who is steadfast love and has that towards his people. And he is strength. What he wants to do, he will do. And so when you're looking for rest for your soul, you lift your eyes and you look at God and you hear him say, this is who he says he is, and we listen to what he says he is. Yeah, God, you're the one who loves me. With a faithful love, when I run away from you, you come after me. It's faithfulness in your love, unlike anything I've ever known. And all the strength lies with you. Everything that's crushing you, everything that may crush you this year or crush you next year, he has the strength to carry you. in it. He has unlimited strength and ability. He's not only mighty, he's merciful. He's not only powerful, but he's patient. He's these things together, and it's amazing. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy, your vision may say blessed, how blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. You know, you're, not, you're not a coward when you take refuge in God. There is no refuge like God. And when years like this roll on, and I would say that this year is a, is a wake-up call for many of us to say, stop faffing around and looking for comfort and rest for your soul and everything else. This year will teach you more than any other year, or maybe next year will teach us more if we don't learn the lesson quick enough, that there's no refuge like God. And that it's a blessed thing to seek refuge in Him. You're not a coward when you run to God. It's says how blessed, how happy are you when you find refuge in the Lord, when you make the Lord your refuge, when you hide hiding there with Him, when He's all that you have, all that you've got, all that you're looking to. How blessed are you? Abandon the other stuff, guys. Abandon the other stuff. It's not going to do anything for you. The last point is this that resting your soul in God requires action. Resting your soul in God requires action. It's not just you go home and you lie on your bed, you say, like I okay, go, my soul's resting in the Lord, yeah. It requires action. I'm going to give you some of the actions here from this Psalm and others. Verse 8, it says, Pour out your hearts. It says, trusting in Him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts before Him. Pour out your hearts. I love that phrase in the scriptures. I love that picture. Just you take your heart and it's just like, whoosh, poured out before the Lord. And this is the coolest thing is, the, you know, the, the Lord says that he knows every word that's on your tongue before it's spoken. Isn't that cool? You know, when you're praying and you're like, uh, I'm not saying this right. I even have that problem. I'm a professional prayer and I know you, know, you may doubt, wonder, but I, I still sometimes, I often get tongue-tied praying. I'm like, oh, no, that didn't sound right. Lord, that's not what I meant kind of thing. And I can tie myself in a knot. I'm saying, I'm praying, and it sounds like gobbledygook. And I have to remind myself before a word is on my tongue. God knows me. He's not, I'm not praying to inform the Lord. Like, oh, I've got that wrong. Now you don't know what's going on in my heart. He's like, oh, you clown. I know everything about you from the beginning to the end. I made you. I can see through all of this nonsense, all the words even. And yet there's this invitation in scriptures to come and pour out your heart before the Lord. There's a caution in the scriptures, not to come and weary the Lord with endless words. So we hold that as well. You don't just come and lots and lots of words as if God's impressed with your like half an hour of nonstop praying. Lots of words. The Lord's like, sure. Hey, look at you, man. Whole half an hour. You didn't stop once. You don't need to weary the Lord with lots of words. The invitation is to come when your heart feels like it needs to be poured out. This cathartic thing in that, just come before the Lord and say, this is what's in my heart, Lord. I know you know it. I know you know you know me, but I'm pouring it out because it's good for me to pour it out before you. And I would encourage you to do that. That's one of the ways that your soul rests, is coming and pouring out your heart before the one who loves you. You're speaking with the one who loves you the most. You have to remember that when you're praying, you're speaking to the one who loves you the most, and he never, ever gets weary of the outpouring of our hearts. Turn that around, and David encourages us to wait in silence. If you use the ESV, verse 1 of this passage would have said, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. In our incredibly noisy world, the possibly the most refreshing and important thing you can do for your soul is to learn to wait in silence with the Lord. To learn to wait in silence with the Lord. Not to weary Him with all the words. Like I said, the words must come and there's a time for that. But most of us, for most of us, even as, even as I say this to you now, you're thinking, yeah, that's not really me. I'm more of like a worship person, more like a reading, I like noise. To sit on your own with the Lord in silence would terrify you. You wouldn't do it. Try it. Try it. I want to encourage you in this discipline. I want you to encourage you to, to try five minutes. And every time a thought comes into your head, just write it down or park it somewhere. Just let it watch it go by and just try to fix your eyes on, and your thoughts on the Lord. Five minutes will feel like an eternity if you're not into this as a habit. It will feel like eternity. It will be like, it's only been three minutes. Is the Lord coming back yet? It feels like it's been decades. But you have to train your heart, train your life to sit silently before the Lord. That's what David says. I waited silently before the Lord because my salvation and my hope comes from you. Guys, we live in the noisiest time maybe in human history. Social media, everything just does not stop. We are... These things have enslaved our minds and our attention and filled our ears and our minds with so much noise. You can no longer hear the voice of the Lord. You can no longer hear what you most need to hear. What your soul is most desperately needing is drowned out with all the noise. That's why you need to learn to wait in silence before the Lord. To hear Him speak to you. Waiting in silence. The third thing is to speak to your soul. To speak to your soul, not to listen to your soul. You look, read again and again in the Psalms, which this David and other they're speaking to the, their soul, saying, hey soul, listen up. I'm not listening to my soul, because you can tell yourself a whole bunch of nonsense. And you've got internal thoughts and stories and voices and stuff, and not necessarily got anything to do with the Lord. Doubts, fears, shame, worries, concerns, they're not comforting to your soul. Sometimes you need to sit down and put your soul on the chairs and say, okay, listen here, soul. Now you're going to sh- shut up, sit in the corner, and now you're going to listen to me. That's the impetus of what David is saying here. Remember, see here in Psalm 62, he says the same thing twice. In verse 1, he says, I'm at rest in God alone. He's making a statement. In verse 5, he says, rest in God alone, my soul. Now I'm speaking to my soul. Now I'm instructing myself. You need to learn that discipline, guys, of speaking to yourself the truth of God's word. Uh, you've got to be careful what you speak to your soul. You can speak to it. Helen Stein, Arise, whoopee, encouraging, uh, empty, nonsense promises. Uh, you know, like a, a yippee box of uh, rainbows and daisies and stuff. Or you can speak what is in here and what's true. And what God has said. And there is a lot in here that God has promised that's true. And we can rest our souls in this. To that is listening to God. Just being quiet long enough to listen. If you want to live with a soul that's at rest, you need to learn to listen to God. And this is how He speaks. The Holy Spirit uses this book to speak rest into your life. And as you hear it, then you don't just read and read and read. You just hear and you sit and you meditate and you think and you chew over those words and you read it again and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm hard of hearing. Say it again. Say it again until you hear, and until your soul finds rest. Until your soul finds rest. And this, is, this is some of the most important stuff that I can put before you as a, as a church, as a believer, to find rest for your soul. Think of yourself, I don't know what spiritual condition we're all in and what condition you're in at home, but I would take a strong bet that many of us, your soul feels weary and a bit shriveled and beaten up by what's happened this year. By the lack of ability to have corporate worship, by the stresses, by stuff, uncertainty in, in the world, fear of health issues, your job, finances, all these things. W- world events that have come closer than ever before. Our souls are churning. God calls us to rest. And you will feel like you are swimming upstream. You will. Because everything current wants to wash you down in the busyness and the noise and the turmoil of life. And God's invitation to his people is to come to him to find rest for your soul. And you live from rest. You don't live for rest. You live from rest. It's a very different way to live. As we close this out, let me share with you a quote that Terry Virgo, who founded New Frontiers, said. He said this. When you're tired, you need to sleep. When you're weary, you need to pray. And you need to go to God and discern. Are you tired? Go have a nap. You're physically tired. You ran 21Ks. You need a nap. You've worked long hours of work this week. You need a nap today. But are you weary? There's a soul weariness that's different to a physical tiredness. And all the naps in the world are not going to fix your soul weariness. You need God alone. You need to get with him and allow the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, to refresh your soul. It's the most important thing you can do. George Muller, who's famous for running all those orphanages in England, he said this in part of a longer devotion, I saw more clearly than ever that the first and gr- first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. This is a dude who, without asking for help from anyone, just through prayer, provided the needs of thousands and thousands of orphans, both to feed them, clothe them, and to put them through school and build orphanages. And then he went on like a 15-year missionary tour around the world when he was 72. He started that trip. The oak was like insane. Busy, busy, busy. busier than any of us in this room with far more pressure than anyone in this room, what did he say was the first and most important thing you needed to do every day? Make sure that your soul is happy in the Lord. Do whatever it takes, friends, whatever it takes. Get up early, stay up late, carve out time, say no to things, lower exercise, tell your kids to go play in the garden. I don't know what it is that you need to boundary so you can get alone with God and your soul can be refreshed because everything depends on this and we want to live as God's life-giving sons and daughters. And this is his invitation and promise to us. And it will come if we take hold of it. Let's pray uh, together. Father, thank you for this a reminder, this clear revelation in your word that you alone are our refuge, our rest, our salvation, our stronghold, our fortress. We want to say with David, we long to say like David, we will not be shaken. Whatever happens in the world, we will not be shaken because we stand with you, we stand on you, we are hidden in you. We look to you that come what may, our souls will be steadfast, our spirits, our souls will be refreshed because we have drawn of you. We've drunk deep of living water, of the grace that you offer. And I pray for all of us this morning that into this coming week, you would take us deeper into these things, that you would give us grace to carve our time to be with you. And as we just take steps towards you, that you would come running towards us and bring refreshment for our soul. As we look away from other things that we've trusted in, we turn away from those things, Father. We even repent of those things, the pressure and the expectancy we've placed on those things to refresh our souls. And we say again this morning, we're looking to you, Father. We're looking to you. You alone have what we need for our souls to be refreshed in the midst of the craziness of this year and in life to come. Teach us these secrets and take us deeper into the promises that you have for us. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.